Welcome to another edition of the Full Contact Podcast. You have myself, Sheree Phillips-Keaton, along with me, as always, Nick Sapina. Nick, how are you feeling on this Friday night? Sharif, I got to tell you, um, I was on Twitter a few days ago, and I saw somebody was joking about drinking coffee and Coke and mixing them together, and I was like, man, that's that's kind of weird. And I didn't even believe there was a real thing. Like, I didn't think that coffee and Coke was a mixture that people drank. And then I'm, you know, a couple days later, I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling through and I see an advertisement, not like an official one from like Coca-Cola itself, but like I see something that is like a can of vanilla uh, coffee and Coke. And I'm like, what? And I, I, again, I was like, this is not real. So I Googled it. Lo and behold, it is a real thing. And pretty much right before this show, I was out. I stopped at a Wawa and I was like, wait, I have to see if they have this vanilla uh, Coca-Cola coffee concoction. And lo and behold, they did. So Sharif, I tried this really weird uh, vanilla Coca-Cola coffee thing and Boy, I got to tell you, I feel like I was on something because I was juiced up for quite a while. I was like bouncing off the walls of the car. I think that I'm finally starting to come back down to earth, but still definitely have some of that energy. So I'm pretty excited for this show, Sharif. Well, I was kind of hoping you ingested that drink closer to our start time. But like (laughs) you said, uh, pre-show. Hopefully you can muster some of that bouncing off the walls energy. Um, I, for one, would not indulge in that. I don't. I can't even drink coffee anymore. I mean, I did when I first started working when we uh, graduated from uh, Stockton University long back in 2017. But I mean, it just like my heart pounds and like I I just can't deal with it and I hate being jittery especially when you have to focus on something or like you have to like write and it's just like all over the place. So yeah, I'll leave the coffee and Coke thing to, <clears throat> to you and those who, you know, want that, that thrill in life. I will just leave that alone. <laughs> um, speaking. You know, that's of- one of the funny things though. Sorry. I don't even like coffee. Like I, I hate the stuff. I just thought that this, this thing was just so weird that I couldn't just, I couldn't look at it and not try it. I just had to. <laughs> oh, no, it's definitely uh, understandable why you, you, you know, and, and especially when you hear something like that, especially like you said, you didn't even know it was a real thing. You thought it was a joke and then you find out it's real. It's like, well, I'm here now. So what the hell? So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I definitely get that. <laughs> um, we do have a jam packed show for you. We actually made a change to our show right before and i'll get to it first we'll have our quick hitters as always with nick headlining the segment as he so masterfully does then you know this is actually a a second twist to our show we'll actually discuss some soccer more specifically the european super league idea that was proposed and then fell through within i believe 48 hours and obviously uh soccer fans around the globe were up in arms about the whole idea, as well as the other teams that were not involved. We'll get into all that. Um, then 
We'll talk about the Eagles uh, pre-draft uh, media availability, where pretty much the highlight of it was uh, head coach Nick Sirianni saying that he's not ready to name Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback. Um, and obviously, I love Jalen Hurts. And Nick, I know you don't you don't have anything against Jalen Hurts, but I know there's some Eagles fans that are already written him off for no reason. So we'll get into all that, and then. What was going to be our cornerback tight end discussion ended up being the massive trade between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. So we'll get into all of that. But before we get into all of that juicy content, Nick, can you please uh, start us off right with some quick hitters? Sure thing, Sharif. So the Carolina Panthers are reportedly very open to moving back from the number eight pick in the NFL draft, likely securing the notion that Sam Darnold is their quarterback for the foreseeable future. Uh, The Cleveland Browns exercised Baker Mayfield's fifth-year option, so where there were once questions about his long-term tenure with the Cleveland Browns, it seems like they are also moving in the direction of keeping him uh, under center. And then lastly, keeping it in the topic of – young quarterbacks, the Detroit Lions are open to trading the number seven pick in the NFL draft, which again, like I kind of mentioned with Sam Darnold and the Panthers, kind of cements that idea that Jared Goff will likely be the starter for the uh, Detroit Lions. Thank you, Nick, as always. And hopefully the Lions definitely do trade back. So at least my investment in Jared Goff for our Dynasty Football League at least has some merit because there was some talk of them drafting a quarterback, and then that would make my Jared Goff stonks plummet, and I definitely don't want that. (laughs) Um, First, we'll get into the European Super League, and it's pretty quick collapse. Um, You know what? Nick, you are the – among the many things you do, you are a soccer aficionado – and I am just a novice when it comes to soccer. And like you said, it's more about just this event. But can you please give us, uh, just the people who are listening, like a basis of what the European Super League was supposed to be and then why it fell? So, you know, whenever you're ready. All right. Yeah, sure thing. So the European Super League is incredibly interesting because – What it was proposed to do was take basically the elite teams from Europe. And just to give everybody a little bit of information about what that looks like, there are five major leagues in European soccer or football, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, For the purposes of this podcast, we will call it soccer. I mean, Sharif and I are American, and I think that like 95% of people who have listened to this podcast are in America. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sharif, for whatever reason, we do have like a 5% listener share that is not from America. So just a fun little tidbit. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) anyway, there's five major leagues in European soccer. And each one has certain teams that, Sharif, you don't need to be a soccer fan. But if I said like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid and Barcelona or Manchester United, Juventus, AC Milan... You might like shake your head and say like, yeah, I-, I know about those teams. I know that they exist. And that kind of speaks to the magnitude uh, of the fandom that they kind of 
have because these are the teams that have the largest revenue in Europe. They have the most storied franchises. And uh, the proposed European Super League was going to take some of those teams, uh, 15 uh, to be exact, from those top five leagues and basically pit them against each other in a uh, league table. And where that kind of differs is uh, right now in soccer, if you want to catch what, what would be considered like interdivision, right? Like if you think about baseball, there's the AL and there's the NL. And for the most part, if you're the Philadelphia Phillies, you play against teams in the NL. And once in a while, you'll get a team from the AL. It's kind of the same deal where if you play in uh, the Barclay Premier League and if you're Manchester United, most of your games are going to be against other teams in the Premier League. So Manchester United is going to play against Leeds United. And, you know, sometimes Manchester City, uh, Chelsea, Tottenham, you know, those kind of teams. And, I mean, the Premier League does have a lot of top-end teams, but the other leagues tend to be more top-heavy. So Barcelona gets to play Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. But it's very rare that Barcelona gets to play Manchester United. And the fact of the matter is, when somebody wants to watch soccer, it's not as attractive to watch Manchester United versus Leeds United because there is such a uh, lopsided level of competition there. And nobody wants to watch Leeds United versus Brighton because those are just not high quality teams. What people really want to see are games that they can't see regularly. And that would be Juventus against Manchester City or Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich. And those teams don't play each other because they're in totally different leagues. So uh, it makes a lot of sense because it would bring in a lot of revenue from uh, the TV deals because more people would watch these high-profile games that are occurring regularly. Now, uh, Sharif, to this point, do you have any questions? Are you following that okay? So I followed it. I just also I just wanted you to head off the segment because you know I I read up about it because you know in one of the group chats we're in, um, you and uh, one of your good friends Paul, where you guys are you know into soccer and you were you two were talking about the European Soccer League and you know one of those days you guys were talking about it, I was at work and I'm like European Soccer League like what and I'm just you know I just like kind of turned away but then I read about it. It was actually, like you said, a pretty interesting idea. And at least according to the European Super League, and you you alluded to it a little bit in your opening uh, analysis and you know explaining, if you will, um, that the idea, like you said, was to provide fans with the best matchups they could get pretty much on a much more regular basis than the current construction of European soccer but also so they could trickle that money to the other franchises that doesn't have as much of a fan base, which I think in theory is good. But then I feel like, and I guess this is just me. And I mean, I just put it in terms of, that'd be like in the NFL. If like the chiefs, the Ravens, the saints, or maybe not after Drew Brees, but who knows, but let's just say the saints, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they all got their own league. And then like, the Jags, the Jets, 
the 49ers, you know, teams like, well, not the 49ers, but like, you know, bad. It would be like basically putting a league of only good teams and then who would watch the bad teams play, you know, like, or the teams that aren't as popular, who would watch them play. So it's kind of like, it sounds like it's good in theory, but if anything, it would ruin the competitive balance that each league, no matter the sport is trying to achieve. Right. And I'm glad that you brought that point up because really what happens is teams that were invited or teams that were, uh, in on the founding of the European Super League, they would earn 400 million euros just for being in it, right? I mean, and this is how European soccer works. Like, you earn money for winning. So uh, they would earn 400 million euros just for being in this league. We haven't even talked about prize competition money. So to give you a little bit of perspective... What is currently like the the top of European soccer is called the Champions League. And what that basically is, actually, I shouldn't even say European soccer. That's just the top of club soccer in general. And what the Champions League is, is uh, basically teams who have excelled in their domestic leagues get entered into a tournament where they get to actually play against each other the teams from different leagues. So that is the one time where you'll see teams like Borussia Dortmund versus Manchester United. You know, it doesn't happen that often. And for winning that tournament, which is the pinnacle of soccer competitions at the club level, you know, we're not talking about the world cup. We're talking about club teams. You win 200 million euros. So this is a big difference, right? Like, you're talking about winning the highest level of competition and you win 200 million euros versus simply being in the European Super Super League and getting 400 million euros for that. Huge difference. And ultimately, when those teams uh, are successful in the Champions League, that does trickle down to the lesser tier, the lower tier teams in their domestic leagues. If, if, the teams like Manchester United, and, and I'm going to keep using that one as the reference, those teams who entered the European Super League, that $400 million or euros would be theirs. Like that wouldn't trickle down at all to the other leagues. So again, now if they were to stay in their domestic leagues, there would be an even further divide because this money is not being spread out in the same way. So really what happened was uh, there was a big push from UEFA, which is the governing body of your uh, European soccer and soccer fans, where they were like, you know what? This really isn't something that we want to get ourselves into. We feel like this isn't fair for soccer. This kind of goes against the fair play rules. And I mean, shoot, Sharif, if you think back like, I don't know, five years ago or so, there was a Premier League team, uh, Leicester City, that just was promoted from the English English Division One, which is basically their minor leagues. Um, and they went on to win the Premier League. This kind of takes, like, if the teams in the European Super League were able to come back into their domestic leagues, there would be no competition like that. 
because those top end teams would have so much more money. It would be so much more top heavy that there is no competition. You know what I mean? It would be like the Bucks are playing against the Jets every week. And uh, ultimately what UEFA decided was, hey, these clubs that want to enter the European Super League, sorry to break it to you guys, but if you do that, you're banned from the Champions League, which is, like I was saying, the most prestigious competition in uh, club soccer. You're banned from that. You're banned from your domestic leagues. And they went so far as to say, players, like, look, if you play for that club team that goes into the European soccer or into the European Super League, you're not only banned from playing in your domestic leagues, you're also banned for playing for your country in competitions like the World Cup. And with all of that backlash, teams did start to pull out. But it is kind of a shame because everybody wants to watch those big teams play against each other. I'm not going to lie. I want to see that. But at the same time, it really ruins so much of the history of the game and the competition within those leagues. So that's pretty much where we're at with the European Super League, Sharif. Um, There are some people who are still kind of advocating for it, but it seems like it's on the way out. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much what I gather is that there are, I mean, I think the, I don't have his name. Uh, There we go. Uh, Florentino uh, Perez who was Perez. named president yeah. Perez was named uh president of the super league basically said that e- basically they're tabling the super league for now. Like they're not, they're not letting it go, but they just understand that they're most of the teams they thought were going to be a part of it. Aren't because like you said, UEFA pretty much said, if you play in a super league, you don't get to play anywhere else. And you know, so yeah, I guess it caused quite a stir, but I mean, once I read about it, I understand the magnitude of it. And I mean, it's a nice idea because I mean, and that's the only thing in every sport, like, you know, I love the NBA. I love the NFL. And like, for example, NBA, I don't want to watch, say, the Nuggets play the Timberwolves, even though in, right. obviously, <laughs> even if it's a, a huge disparity in talent and just overall good players, you could still get a good game out of it because obviously that's why they still play the games. Anything can happen. Most likely, people are paying attention to, you know, if last season when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played the Kansas City Chiefs, everybody's watching that game. Or even tonight, the Celtics play the Nets. Even without, you know, some of the stars of the game, people are still watching that game. So, I guess I see why some people are still intrigued by the Super League, but hopefully there's a way in the future they could find a way to, if not through the European Super League, then maybe just through, you know, some of Europe's domestic leagues, they could find a way where the, the you know, more high profile clubs can play each other more often. So maybe they don't even have to do that entire Super League thing. They could just have it where maybe there's just more out of league competition or, you know, something to that effect. Right. And I think that honestly, that's something that UEFA should have been doing, you know, long before because the champions league just isn't enough, you know, like 
it, it's great that once in a while in the Champions League, you get to see Juventus versus Barcelona. But it happens like so rarely. It happens, you know, once every few years that you get to see that kind of competition. It's just not enough. And I think that UEFA would be smart to capitalize on this idea because everybody wants to see those games. And I mean, UEFA would obviously be losing money by not putting that kind of competition on. So I think that is something that they should explore. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it was a nice idea. And maybe, you know, either if they're going to eventually do the European Soccer League, maybe they can just refine it. That still preserves that competitive balance. Or if not, like you said, maybe UEFA can find a way to just make the scheduling more varied so that people, you know, soccer fans across the world can get those more high profile matchups more frequently. Um, The next topic obviously is, you know, a hometown thing for Nick um, since he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And I, I admit there was a lot more to this presser than just what Nick, Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman said about Jalen Hurts. But pretty much what came out of the pre-draft availability was Sirianni and Roseman declining to name Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback for the 2021 season. Nick, what's your reaction to this story? (sighs) Okay, so at this point... I, I don't think anybody can be surprised because if you've listened to Nick Sirianni to this point, the dude has been like gung ho. He's been beating down the table. He's like, I want competition at every position. So from that perspective, for him to say, yeah, you know, we're, you know, there's going to be a competition at quarterback. Uh, I mean, I think that's what he's just going to say, but I also just feel like I, I want to sit Nick Sirianni down Maybe have a nice beer with him and be like, all right, man, check it out. I don't know if you've been real. I don't know if you've been paying attention for the last like three, four years, but Philadelphia has had quarterback controversy basically the whole time. We had Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl and people wanted to ship out Carson Wentz because Nick Foles was Super Bowl MVP, even though Carson Wentz was ridiculous that season. We had uh, Nick Foles get traded. And then people were mad that Nick Foles was traded and that Carson Wentz was our quarterback. Then we went and drafted Jalen Hurts when Carson Wentz was our quarterback. And that obviously created the whole stir that put us in the situation we're in now. And now Jalen Hurts is like, you know, he he showed some promise last year in obviously limited time. It's not a sample that you can definitively draw conclusions from. The only other quarterback on the roster is Joe Flacco, the quote-unquote elite one, if I may. <laughs> and we're not ready to call him the starter? Like, all right, Sharif, if the Eagles were in a position, if they were in a top five draft position, maybe even six, which they obviously were before, and they were to pursue Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, all right, okay, I, I get it. Like, there's there's at least wiggle room where maybe you really like somebody and you want to move forward with them as your starting quarterback, but that's not the reality. We moved out of the six pick. We sit at 12. 
we basically said like, nah, we're not really in the market for a quarterback, even though it was reported that we did try to move up with the jets to get the number two pick likely for Zach Wilson. Um, we've reached a point where it's just like, dude, you're being weird. Like this is the quarterback we have. Just, just move forward. Like, and I understand like, the Eagles don't necessarily want to hand the keys to the franchise and the keys to the city over to Jalen Hurts right away. Maybe they don't want to get his ego too large too soon. Um, and I, I guess from that perspective, okay. But like, I also don't want to jerk the guy around like we did with Carson Wentz because we see where that landed him. And uh, we've reached a point where the Eagles should just give Jalen Hurts this opportunity because like, like I've said to you in group chats and in texts, we don't really know what Jalen Hurts is. Like we saw some really good things, obviously the mobility behind what was ultimately a subpar offensive line was huge. It was a big difference maker between him and Carson Wentz. Uh, There were definitely some, growing pains and you know he is a young he was a rookie quarterback and he had some turnovers but that's to be expected Carson Wentz had turnovers as a rookie most rookies do it's fine interceptions fumbles they can be cleaned up I just don't see why we're not giving Jalen Hurts a little bit more confidence early on than we are because this like right now we're playing mind games with the kid and I kind of feel bad Right. Um, my initial reaction to this news was pretty much what you talked about in your opening statement was just like, why do it? Why entertain it? Like, I get it. You're trying to not commit to something you're not ready to commit to. And like you said, it could all just be coach speak. They could have already told Jalen Hurts behind closed doors, hey, you'll be our starting quarterback. But you know, we brought in Joe Flacco and the only reason he signed, like, I'm just, some of this is just me um, hypothesizing, if you will, but maybe like Joe Flacco doesn't come in if, if he doesn't have a reasonable chance to compete. So I, you know, maybe Nick Sirianni is trying to say like, you know, I have to make Joe think that he has a chance to compete for the starting job because otherwise we'd be stuck with Nate Sudfeld and, can't even go back to Josh McCown anymore because I'm pretty sure his hamstring won't cooperate after that playoff game with Seattle. So, <laughs> but my only thing is, yeah, I think, and I'm not even necessarily saying that Jalen Hurts has to be the starting quarterback. Like you said, if they write number six, and let's say, let's say the draft unfolds the way most pundits are predicting Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. And number six, let's say you have a choice between uh, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I'm not even saying that you could probably take like Justin Fields or, you know, Trey Lance and maybe just have them sit behind Jalen Hurts or you do it with the intention to compete. But at number 12, there probably won't be any of those quarterbacks left at number 12 the way it's going because – as you said, Carolina's looking to move back. Detroit's looking to move back. But there's still teams that could be looking for a quarterback like Denver, possibly Atlanta, 
you know, obviously most people think Atlanta would be the first team to take a skill position player, most likely being Kyle Pitts, but you just never know. So, and at the end of the day, you know, it's almost like, like you said, it's pretty much not surprising because what is he supposed to say a week before the draft? You know, like they haven't even, or I think teams did start voluntary OTAs this week or they start next week. Something like that. I know most teams, you know, opted out of that, but he hasn't even really worked with the guys. So like, what is he supposed to say? Cause I mean, I think he even said in one of his statements, he's only worked with the guys for two days. So like, what is he supposed to say? And I get all of that, you know, it's a new regime. Pretty much everything's new, especially at quarterback. But at the end of the day, like you said, for what Philly has been through essentially since Carson Wentz has been there, which which was like what 2016 he was drafted. It's been a quarterback so. controversy. It's been a quarterback controversy either with Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, and now Jalen Hurts, <laughs> possibly Joe Flacco, whoever the next quarterback is. It's just Philly has to keep dealing with a quarterback controversy, and I'm sorry. It's just embarrassing to deal with that in the NFL. I mean, at at this point, for as long as we have, yeah, like, you know that it's not good. It it breeds, like, it breeds contempt between players and their uh, front office, their coaches, and obviously the person that they're competing with. And whether that's something that they talk about or not, you know that like nobody's nobody's happy to be told like, hey, you're in a competition with somebody who's probably a little bit worse than you, or maybe a lot worse. It depends on your perception of Joe Flacco. I mean, Joe Flacco isn't there to he's not there to be a backup. Like he's gonna go and do his best to win that job. But the franchise also has uh, a duty to itself to move forward, you know, and you're not moving forward with Joe Flacco as a, as a franchise quarterback at this point. You're just not. Right. Yeah. It doesn't serve the Eagles any good to, even if Joe Flacco were to outplay Jalen Hurts or whoever, if the Eagles decide to draft a quarterback at number 12, if one is there, it doesn't serve them any good to make Joe Flacco the starter because I think he's like, what, 37, 30? Like, he's pretty much on his way out the door. So what good is it? And you're not even ready to win now. Like, the Eagles will probably go with 17 games now. So what, maybe 3-14, and 4-13, and 13, maybe 5-12? and 12. Where does Joe Flacco fit into that? So Joe Flacco, like, I get it. Joe Flacco didn't go there to be a backup, but he's going to be a backup. That's just That's just his place in the NFL, you know, so – um, right. But yeah, definitely. It's I just did want to. Oh, go ahead. I, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about this press conference, Sharif. And I know that you we were going to mainly talk about Jalen Hurts, but there's some stuff I just can't look over because Nick Sirianni's freaking weird. And I know that that's a little bit early, but. Everything that like every time this guy talks, I have to like roll my eyes a little bit. And he says things that are just so Adam Gase like. And I hate to say it. <laughs> and I, I also wanna <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna step back and I wanna say this guy might be a great coach. He might be great on the sidelines, he might be great with players, but the things that he says to media 
are freaking weird, dude. Like this guy says like, yeah, man, we've been, we've been uh, monitoring some of the draft prospects competitiveness and, you know, we've been doing it with using various ways and we've played jeopardy with them. And we, we wanted to see how competitive they were in rock, paper, scissors. And, I, and that's where I lost it. Sharif, I was like, hold, hold up. <laughs> you're telling me you're measuring competitiveness in a game of total luck. I'm sorry. I am not going to be someone. And maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not a competitive enough person. I don't know. I, I had to do some serious reflection. I was like, if somebody got me in a room and was like, Nick, I need to see how competitive you are. Let's play rock, paper, scissors. And let's say I'm losing. Am I supposed to be pissed off that I'm losing a game of total <laughs> luck? Like, do you want to see a, a, a forehead vein bulging out of my head? Like, I, I don't know what you're looking for. Like, do you want me to be grunting in anger that I'm losing? Like, this would be like sitting me down and saying, Nick, let's play a game of Yahtzee. I want to see how well you handle the pressure. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I didn't roll five fives. It's a game of Yahtzee. Who cares? If it's something that requires skill, like, I don't, it could be Wii Bowling. Wii Bowling requires more skill than rock, paper, scissors. And you said, <laughs> Nick, let's, let's play a game of Wii Bowling. I want to see how you respond to competition. Okay, game on. It's wee bowling. Like, I'm going to kick your ass. But it's rock, paper, scissors, dude. It's not that deep. It's just, oh, lose the rock, paper, scissors. Don't even mention it. It's weird. I got to say, I mean, that was that was hilarious. And yeah, I know we talked about it. And the rock, paper, scissors thing is definitely the one that, you know, you could say was trending. because. I mean, if it's not Dan Campbell talking about biting kneecaps off and he makes sure it's to reference both kneecaps, it's Nick Sirianni talking about rock, paper, scissors at a NFL pre-draft availability. I mean, I thought I saw it all. And then I heard those two guys give their give various press conferences. And I'm just like, where do you find these guys sometimes? And like you said, you know, they could just be out of this world great at coaching but boy they are peculiar characters if i may say so myself mm-hmm. big time big time so without having a you know a forehead vein busting out of nick's head talking about nick sirianni we'll just move on so hopefully we can get to our last topic and nick can still remain sane as he's coming down from his coffee and coke high <laughs> Actually, just made me laugh. So the last thing we have to talk about is in replacement of our cornerback tight end draft talk, there was a major trade made between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens traded offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. Excuse me, to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens get back in return three picks and the upcoming NFL draft, a first rounder, which would be the Chiefs first rounder, number 31 overall, a third rounder, number 94, and a fourth rounder, number number 136, as well as a fifth round pick in 2022. And the Chiefs get Brown and Baltimore's second round pick in 2021 and a sixth rounder 
in 2022. So, I mean, this trade, when I saw it come across, I was not entirely surprised because I know um, Orlando Brown either wanted to play left tackle or wanted to be traded. So I figured he was going somewhere. I just did not expect this trade. Nick, what was your reaction when this came across your notification screen? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised necessarily that the Chiefs were able to pull this off. But I am a little bit surprised at the price because uh, it's not it's not common that you know a franchise or a, a potential franchise left tackle falls right into your lap, especially after you hypothetically lose one and I, I believe Eric uh, Eric Fisher. Uh, so Orlando Brown has been, I believe, a Pro Bowl talent at both right tackle and left tackle. Like he has done both. So he's a proven guy. Uh, the Ravens pretty much made it clear that he was going to be traded based on what you what you mentioned, his demands to either play left tackle or be traded. Um but I mean, shoot, it was not that long ago that Laramie Tunsil went for, what was it like two firsts and two seconds or something like that? So something like that, the fact yeah. that the Chiefs were able to pull this. Yeah. Like the fact that the Chiefs were able to pull this off for basically a number one pick. They, they got a second round pick back. They got the number 58 pick in the draft. Like, I'm going to spare everybody the mental gymnastics. They got a, they got a steal and Orlando Brown is not making a lot of money. So after this coming season, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So that's something that they'll have to address then. But uh, assuming he plays well, if, if they let him walk in free agency, they'll recoup a, a potential third round compensatory pick. Um, and if not, they can just work on a contract for the future. And this is a move that the Chiefs needed to make because we saw what happened when Patrick Mahomes was running behind a shoddy offensive line in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was still making plays, but dude was getting hit like every single play. He was under pressure and it really wasn't amounting to success on the field. So it always makes sense to protect your uh, biggest investment, your quarterback, especially when they are of the caliber of Patrick Mahomes. And getting a guy like Orlando Brown, who has proven he can play left tackle in the NFL at a very high level, I mean, it's just what they had to do. Yeah, it was definitely news to me. Obviously, not as surprising as it would have been if he never tweeted that he's a left tackle and just left it at that. And I get it. For Orlando Brown, there's some significance there uh, because his father uh, wanted him to play left tackle as he did in the NFL. So, you know, we we get it there. Um, but Orlando Brown, the fact that the Chiefs were able to acquire him, I mean, this is just, I would say, monumental from multiple levels, not because of necessarily Orlando Brown, even though he's one of only four offensive tackles selected to the Pro Bowl in each of the past two seasons, along with David Bakhtiari, Teron Armstead, and uh, Laramie Tunsil, as you mentioned earlier. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, last season he allowed no sacks or quarterback hits in 700 snaps at left tackle last season. Now, some of that is probably – some of it is just because Orlando Brown's really good, and obviously some of that is he's protecting Lamar Jackson, who 
probably won't get sacked because he'll probably just run before he lets someone tackle him in the backfield, unless he doesn't see it coming. So let's just get some of that out of the way. Um, now, you think think of it like this. They add Orlando Brown as well as they signed Joe Tooney in free agency, brought Kyle Long out of retirement, and saw, uh, signed Austin Blythe. Um, and they also expect a couple of opt-outs from that offensive line to come back and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and Lucas Niang. So they'll have actually a completely brand new offensive line compared to last season. And honestly, it might be better than what it was when they had Eric Fisher and um, Mitchell Schwartz uh, on that line. So, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is about to get all the protection he could have and more. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, like you said, this offensive line has been totally revamped. And, I mean, it is kind of a a weird grouping of names that you're just, like, totally not um, accustomed to. And it's hard to go – it's hard to improve from Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, but it really does on paper look like they have. So I'm really excited to see what they're going to do, if they're going to even – you know, pound the rock a little bit more on the run game because that's something that the Chiefs have notoriously gotten away from, and that's a an Andy Reid West Coast tendency. Um, but obviously, controlling the clock is something that the Chiefs could stand to do a little bit better. Now, I don't expect them to totally rein it in with a guy like Patrick Mahomes slaying it, but uh, I think that this gives them a lot more flexibility moving forward. Yeah, they are definitely paying Patrick Mahomes. $500 million to do more than hand the ball off to Clyde edwards Elaire, But I agree, they need to achieve more balance in that offense. And I mean, most of the main figures in that offense, like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, said the same thing after they lost in the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That does it for us for today. Um, Nick, before we go, is there anything you want to say? Yeah, I, I want to I want to apologize to everybody's ears for that rant that they heard from me. I hope that it wasn't too aggressive or, or uh, you know, painful on the ears. But I did mean every word of it because Nick Sirianni really has gotten under my skin to this point. Um, but I also hope that everybody enjoyed that because that was a little bit of Coca-Cola coffee fueled rage, if you will. Um, aside from that, I just would like everybody to follow us on our social media accounts at Full Contact Pod. As always, my shameless plug. Well, thank you, Nick, for always shamelessly plugging that. And for me, um, thank you for your uh, your brief expose on the European Super League. I mean, in, you know, like I don't really talk soccer with you, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not really that into soccer. You know, it's just not my thing, which is fine. Uh, but it was nice to hear about that, especially with something as could have been a revolutionary, revolutionary idea that could have changed the landscape of European soccer, especially since, you know, there's obviously soccer in America with the MLS and I'm sure there's, you know, different soccer leagues, but the one, the major one is pretty much those European leagues that you're talking about the, I don't know if it's called the big five, but that's what I'll call it. Um, so definitely interested in that. And, you know, as right. always, <laughs> I appreciate all of you who are listening to us, especially the 5% that's not in America. We totally appreciate it. 
because I don't even know what time zone you 5% are in. But either way, we appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, for Nick Sapina, I'm Sheree Phillips-Keaton. We'll see you next time.